CEO of Booktopia back again, and I have a guest today, an author, uh, Michael Crossland, with his new book, Everything Will Be Okay, and it's a subtitled, A Story of Hope, Love, and Perspective. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Tony. Great to be on. Yeah, great to have you, and um, and congrats on the book. How, how many is this now? This is my second book. First book was released in 2016, and Fortunately enough, was a bestseller in six countries around the world, and I've been uh, been pushed for the last probably eighteen months to uh, to get another book out. And uh, through through some ongoing challenges, I thought that this was an opportunity not only to uh, live into my legacy, but also to leave a legacy as well. So delighted that it's uh, that it's out now on bookshelves, and uh, and people are really enjoying it. So as most people know who listen to my sessions, I don't like to go into too much detail about the book, but I also want to kind of get people a bit of an insight to what it's about and 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 so they perhaps are inspired to buy it. And uh, you were sharing sharing with me before we started, it's, it's in a very important cause. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about it and 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 also I'd like everyone to hear about the cause and the and your motivations behind it. So the book is called Everything Will Be Okay, and the reason why it is titled that is um, I know some people that are listening may have heard me speak before or have seen me around. Um, others probably have no idea who I am. And for me, I'm I'm no pro athlete. I'm no TV star. I'm no celebrity Tony. I am I'm an ordinary old Australian that's faced my fair share of adversities and now very, very privileged to travel the world and share with people uh, last year, I was on 186 flights. I spoke in 22 countries around the world. And uh, it's not because of my adversities, but rather how I've dealt with my adversities that have allowed me to live the, the life that I get to live. Uh, at the age of 11 months, I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage four. Uh, doctors said there was no chance of survival to take a little boy home and allow him to live the next few months with his family. But like everybody listening, like yourself and I, Tony, we all have choices. And the choices that we make each and every day can help reshape, remold and redefine our future. And my mum asked one very simple question. I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying. I just want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. Um, the doctor said I had a 96% death rate just to go home and don't put him through that pain. But I'm so blessed and so privileged uh, every day that my mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty, but she chose to look at my life being 4% full. Um, I started chemo on my first birthday. My chemo cycle was nine days on, three days off. Not for weeks, not for months, but for years. I was on that same cycle until just before my fourth birthday when the doctor came in and said to my mum, Kerry, the, uh, the treatment is no longer doing the job. The tumour has built a resistance. It's now taken over half of your son's body. We, uh, we need to go into surgery. I went into surgery. Six hours later, the doctors came out and said we couldn't get it all. Uh, my dad and my three older sisters, they were flown from Coffs Harbour down to Sydney. Uh, they came into my room basically to say goodbye. But the next day, there was an American doctor. He was trialling an experimental drug on 25 patients around the world. We all had to be terminally ill. We all needed to be under the age of 12. Uh, and they had 24 candidates, and they asked um, my family, whether we wanted uh, for me to be number 25. And we really believe, Tony, that outside of love, hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. Uh, I really believe that if we can instill hope into somebody's life, we can instill courage, uh, determination, inspiration. It's, it's amazing what we can all overcome and get through when we just have a little piece of hope. And 
right now more than ever. That, that's certainly something that the world is reaching out for is just to have a little bit of hope. Uh, long story short, we started that trial drug um, with 24 other families. Within one day, we we're all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. Uh, the after effects of the drug were so bad, we were completely covered from head to toe in blisters. They would wrap us up in bandages. They would lie us in bars full of ice, trying to prevent our brains from frying. And sadly, 24 out of the 25 of us that were on that drug passed away. Um, they were all dead within 90 days. And my mum, she continued to fight and just wouldn't give up. And I guess she was she was faced with a dilemma of stop the treatment and guarantee your son's going to die or continue the treatment and possibly burn him to death. And I say to people around the world that I'm one of the lucky ones, not because I'm still alive, but because I wasn't my mum. You know, she had to make that choice. And you questioned me before about the title. After six years, five years in hospital, the doctors took my mum outside the curtains. I, I don't know why they take people outside the curtains because the curtains aren't soundproof, right? So you can hear everything that they're saying, but they feel they need to take them outside the curtains to tell them the bad news. And they took, uh, they took my mum outside and they said, Kerry, we have no idea how or why, but you can take your little boy home. But your son, he will never go to school. He will never play sport. He'll be a housebound baby. And if he reaches his teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And my mum come through the curtains and I said, what did the doctor say? And she said, oh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. And as you'll hear throughout today, um, that theme has definitely continued to raise its head constantly throughout my life. I had my first heart attack at 12. They said I would never be able to play sport again. Once again, my mum came back through and said, uh, everything's going to be okay. I was lucky enough to represent Australia in the sport of baseball. I lived in America. I went to college over there, even though they told me I wouldn't go to school. I had an amazing corporate career, had 600 staff at the age of 23, reported directly to the CEO. And then in 2009, my, my world came crashing down again. I had bacterial meningitis. I got fluid on the brain. I had Bell's palsy down the right-hand side of my body. They said I would never walk again or talk again. And again, my mum came in and said, everything will be okay. And I think that was when the catalyst changed. And that's when I decided to, rather than striving to earn, I, I had the passion to serve. And that's when I opened up uh, an orphanage and a school overseas in Haiti. There was an earthquake hit over there in 2010, killed 316,000 people. And I think that was the day in my life where I dedicated the rest of my life to making an impact in other people's lives. And I went down the speaking path and now I've been lucky enough to share the stage with the Dalai Lama, with Richard Branson, uh, Tony Robbins. And I just am very, very blessed to still be here. 2016, again, came back to bite me. I, I was diagnosed with four more tumors of the throat. They told me I wouldn't make Christmas. But for me, Tony, it was the first time in my life where I got a chance to return a favor. And um, I remember I was driving home from the doctors when they said, your tomorrows aren't guaranteed and you need to slow down. And, and my mum called and she said, what did the doctors say? And I finally was in the opportunity uh, to to return that favor and I told her that everything will be okay and uh, here I am still fighting uh, we've been blessed with a little miracle in 2017 a beautiful little baby boy after being told we'd never be able to have a child and he unfortunately was 10 weeks early weighed just over a kilo and didn't look like he was going to make it and again we just constantly threaded that theme throughout every single day that everything's going to be okay everything's going to be okay 
And then the start of this year, I lost 68 events overnight. My mum lost a job. My wife lost a job. We just signed a contract to build our new house. And my wife said, what are we going to do? And my response was, everything will be okay. And that's when I put pen to paper. And not only did I want to share my entire life with the world and hopefully positively influence others to look at their life a little differently, but also this was, um, this was a really wonderful opportunity for me to be able to share all the tools and all the principles that I've applied to my life to not only be able to survive these challenges, but thrive through these challenges as well. Amazing. I'm sure everyone that's listening is just gobsmacked that that all of that can compile on not only one person, but but a newborn and to have gone through that. It's it's almost um, it's almost incomprehensible for me to even think of the next question. Um, I will ask you, though, um, the was there a family history of that kind of, of survival or that kind of like did your mum or her ancestors come from a similar kind of like almost um, you know a mir miracle descendancy or something is there is there some is there something <laughs> some cute you know family trait i think my father and my mother came from a line of hard-working tough aussies that never laid down and died and i think that is the true spirit of mankind when when the whole world is against you when your back's against the wall and you just refuse to quit and i know that my mum she never gave up on a little boy she never gave up on me to lead a normal life and i think that is the greatest gift that i could have she she wanted me to lead a normal life she wanted me to have dreams and goals she wanted me to have a positive influence and hopefully leave the world a better place than what i found it and now I get out of bed every day and I strive not just to, you know, serve others and make an impact, but I, I, I really want to make my mum proud and I and I have a why now. You know, my why is to be the best the best father I possibly can be. And, you know, when he looks into my eyes and and when times get tough, you know, my health deteriorated again last year and I had a really tough patch in February. But I looked into his eyes and and all of a sudden I've got even more more determination to fight and and not to give up on on uh, on life because I I, I want to be there when he plays his first soccer game I want to be there when he goes to his first day of school I you know I just I want to be I want to be that man that every child should have. Mm, good on you. So when when you um, I mean that's a lot of flights that someone has to do um, of course away from your family or. Do does your son get to go with you because he's still preschool? Yeah, so he is uh, only two and a half now. So last year he was on 70 flights. Uh, we got to travel different parts of the world, which was incredible. But there was long stints when I was away from my family. And, you know, to, to talk about COVID very quickly, as much as we probably don't want to touch on it because there's uh, not much positives to talk about it. But it... Uh, you know, I'm very much around the power of the subconscious mind and the thoughts and, you know, we must we must talk to ourselves and not listen to ourselves to transform the way we look at life. And I really try and think to myself, what can I thank COVID for every day to inspire me to continue to, you know, get out of bed and, and want to make an impact in the world? And, you know, I'm just so grateful that I get to, to spend time with my family. I, I've been in isolation since the first week in March. I've got very, very low immune system, so I can't go to the shops, I can't go to restaurants, I can't be with my friends, I can't spend time with my extended family, but I get to see my son every single day. I get to hear his voice 
sing out dad 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 every time he wakes up i get to put him down every night time and that in itself is just a remarkable blessing and i know that it has positively influenced the rest of his life because i've had the opportunity to be present to to actually stop and to to be with him you know i think Google says we look at our phones more than 600 times a day, and I'm sure that there are many kids and many parents that are listening today just thinking, maybe I should challenge myself to have a digital detox day every now and then. Maybe I should have a phone-free Friday. Maybe I should challenge myself to not allow my children to see me on the phone. Because I put up a post the other week on social media, and it was a little boy looking up at his dad staring at the phone, and he said, I wish I was daddy's phone. I'd finally get some attention. And I think that's so true, right? We're just so distracted by this thing that makes us feel important that we forget about the things that are actually important. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, there's there's been a lot of negativity. There's tr that's true. But there has definitely been um, the opportunity for people to recalibrate, check, uh, take time out, slow down. Um, I mean, although the guy at the pizza place where I went to pick up pizzas for the family, um, recently or well, a couple of months ago now said to me you know i'm really wait waiting for the second wave um i just watched too much netflix in the first one and i've got to get out and exercise and eat more healthily <laughs> <laughs> he was ready yeah <laughs> um so so when when i mean for me as a, as a C, as the ceo of booktopia i also have i mean i don't have, and no one has you know very few have what you've had in terms of your of, of the journey that life has served up for you uh, to get to here. But, um, you know, I was, I, I didn't know that I had ADHD and lived with that all my life until a few years ago, until my wife uh, kind of worked out, and maybe you've got something going on there because she had worked out that my son, her stepson, had it. And and uh, I got 56% of my HSC and um, failed at university. And, and so we all have our own kind of uh, backstory, which is easily um, uh, reference points where we could go, look, you know, I'm, I'm not the lucky one or uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. You can always look at the negative sides and if you've done work with Tony Robbins and, and others, you'll know that uh, it's what you, you know, what you focus on. Um, and, and so do you feel that, uh, and with what you talk about in your book, um, that it's, a, that you have the power and the choice to to make those decisions yourself or is it when you do all your speaking do, do you find that you come up against so so well entrenched belief systems even though they are a choice that people still it takes a lot for them to unshackle themselves from that those values and beliefs or do you feel that when you share your story and then it jolts people into go hold on a second what the hell am i doing with my life i've got to i got to i got to i got to shift i gotta change i gotta make some i gotta i gotta do something a little different how, how does that play out for you when you do your speaking and when you talk to people yeah i think it's, it's absolutely critical that we understand the power of the mind and i believe that absolutely there are many people that feel as though they've been born and live their life as a victim and i realize three really important things that have really helped steer me in the direction that i want to take i think firstly it's not the adversity in one's life that defines us. It's how we deal with it. I think that everyone has a story. Everyone has pain and suffering. And it's the, our pain and suffering is not so different. What is so different is our solutions. So I think when we can identify what solutions that we can implement into our lives to better our lives, then all of a sudden 
this victim mentality or this victim approach to our world, thinking, why is the world against me, significantly changes. I think, secondly, your value doesn't decrease based on one's inability to see your worth. And I think reflecting back on my time at school, it was really challenging, right? I, I was very different. I had scabby skin. I had to wear bandages to school. I missed a lot of school because of my immune system. I sat on a nebulizer every recess, every lunchtime. I was away from other kids. I got picked on horribly. But I think that when we begin to determine and understand our own value, then other people's opinions or the bucket that they try and put us in no longer matters because we value ourselves. And I think that when we start to value ourselves, we can truly do some remarkable things. And thirdly, I've realized that no one in our life is ever going to tell us what we can do. They will only tell us what we can't do, but, but it's our choice whether we choose to listen. So I, I really believe that there are only two types of people. There are those that use their pain and suffering as, as the justification behind why they choose to fail in life. And there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. And I think that, you know, to your question, I think it's really about understanding by breaking the barriers down, by breaking or, or getting a little vulnerable and getting emotionally engaged and connected with an audience is, is something that I'm very, very blessed to be able to do. And I think that that old saying, I cried when I didn't get a new pair of shoes until I saw a boy that had no feet. You know, sometimes we do need to compare our adversities and our pain and our suffering to to other people for us to realize how lucky we are to have what we have. And it's not about thinking, you know, what's wrong with me because I think my life's not fair. It's okay to feel that way, especially now. It's okay to have a bad moment. It's okay to have a bad hour. But it's not okay to have a bad week, a bad month, and a bad year. We just need to actively make the choice to say, you know what? I don't want to live the rest of my life the way that I'm living it. I'm going to make some choices to change. You know, we've got one shot, one life. This is not a dress rehearsal. You know, I know that when my time is up, my tank is going to be on empty. There's going to be nothing left in the tank. And that's the way I choose to live my life. I just want to serve other people as best I can every single day. But I understand that I need to serve myself first. You know, that old, you know, saying, I think the Dalai Lama said it, we we sacrifice our health to create wealth, then we need to sacrifice our wealth to save our health. You know, I think that we need to have days where we invest in ourselves and grow ourselves so we can value ourselves to be the best uh, we possibly can be to serve others. Mm. So you, you said earlier you chose to um, serve the, the people of Haiti um, and... and uh, as against, say, um, people in Australia or not so much people in Australia, but you you focused, I mean, they not focused on the weakest link, but, you know, like you got to bring the, the those that are coming very, very last with you. Otherwise, you, you're only you're measured by how how far back the, the person who comes last. Um, and, and when you look and you travel around the world, did you feel that the, that that community was um, was in you know an absolute need, but also could 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 make use of your contribution and and shift. How? Why did you? I mean, I know they had a huge earthquake and that motivated you, but um, or do you do do you do stuff all over the world? Is there stuff that you do in Australia as well? Yeah, I think that they're definitely what I've experienced around the world was would probably be the most vulnerable and the most needy. Uh, I definitely am heavily invested in Australia. I, 
I'm the national ambassador for Camp Quality, the Cancer Council. I do a lot of stuff with Make-A-Wish, uh, work a lot with the homeless people, do a lot of work with the Aboriginal community here in the local area. Uh, my wife and I, in 2016, when I was diagnosed again, uh, we decided to build a respite centre for sick kids and their families in the beautiful beachside suburb of Scott's Head. So, um, you know, I... People think I'm rich because we've got this beautiful beach house, but I've got a big debt and it and the only reason why I made it or built it was to be able to create a safe haven for people that are desperately in need. Because I understand that it's far greater to give than to receive and to know that there are, you know, kids that are terminally ill and to know that there are parents that are grieving that have lost the ones that they've loved the most to be able to go away and just have a week or two weeks of just relaxation and, and recharging is is a great gift and again it's a great legacy but for me working in haiti i was actually working in america at the time i was i do a lot of stuff with pro athletes and i was working with the toronto blue jays the major league baseball team at their spring training camp and a friend of mine told me that they were heading down to what i thought they said was tahiti so i was like absolutely i'm there you know i i I've always wanted to go to that place and they're really questioning why i've always wanted to go to this place and i was making sure that you bring your board because the surf's amazing there and they're like, what? And I said, Tahiti, the waves are meant to be incredible. And he goes, no, no, we're going to Haiti. And I was like, oh, where's Haiti? And then I did the research and I discovered, you know, it's a it's an island one third the size of Tasmania, yet it has over 10 million people that live there. And 80% of the population is unemployed and 316,000 people died from an earthquake. And, you know, a large percentage, you know, millions and millions, I think it's like 50 or 60% of the island is um, has no home. Like, they're, they're homeless. They, they live in shanties and in tents. And, you know, these kids were I, – I, I really wanted to go somewhere, Tony, where I could do something for somebody else who would never be able to return the favour. Like, that was my, my desire, my passion. You know, I walked away from the corporate world because it was very much around greed. It was about – um, materialistic possessions that we could gain. It was about power and privileges and possessions. And and I really wanted it to be about just serving other people. And now I'm very much, especially being a father, it's about patience, persistence and perspective with my little one. But to go over there and be able to serve these kids that would never be able to return a favour, I was so I was so wrong by having that thought process because these kids gave to me far more than I could ever give to them. They've They've changed the way I look at the world. You know, that old saying, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. These kids, they have no mum, no dad, no iPad, no iPhone, no books, no nothing. And they woke up this morning and they thought they had everything. And the reason why they thought they had everything was because they woke up this morning. And I'm thinking, can you imagine, regardless of where we are in the world, regardless of where we are in our life, regardless of the challenges that we are facing, can you imagine just for a moment that that was the way you looked at your life? You believe that you could overcome any lockdown, any challenge, any bit of suffering that you are facing right now because you had the incredible blessing and the ability to wake up this morning. So these kids, as I said, you know, they, they, they have taught me far more than I could ever teach them. They've given me far more than I could ever give them. And I am eternally grateful for the impact that they've had on my life as opposed to the impact that I've had on theirs. And that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about uh, serving and giving to these guys. We've made our own charity called Frontier Projects where every cent gets sent. You know, we were so frustrated working in that space where people would donate $50 to a boy or a girl in Africa 
to provide drinking water and $45 was getting chewed up in admin fees and five bucks was going to the kid. And it just wasn't congruent with me. It didn't align with my visions or my values. And, and that's why we started Frontier Projects where every dollar donated gets sent. And that's why from my books, um, you know, we donate 100% of the profits from my book straight to charity uh, and, and straight to supporting these, these beautiful kids, 270 kids at my school now. And, 40 kids in my orphanage it's um you know it's, it's a real blessing to be able to serve these kids just on that then uh, for those that are listening that perhaps have got the resources to do what you're doing so when you say my so you've been able to go up there and set up some sort of corporation or entity that can actually um go in and do work and and um own things or or you know apply resources hire teachers or doctors is that is that how it works yep yeah absolutely so we we bought some land to build the school the reason why we bought the land where we did was because we found out that so the school is up in a remote village called bouvier it's about a 10-hour trek from the epicenter of the earthquake up a very steep mountain and we found out that there were kids walking three hours every morning to go to school and three hours every afternoon to get home and sadly, many of the kids, um, and I, I hope you don't mind me sharing because it's pretty horrific, but many of the kids were sadly being raped on their way home from school. And they would get up out of bed every morning knowing that that was a chance to happen to them because they knew the only way they could break the cycle was to get an education. So we, we teamed up with some locals because I think it's very important that we don't uh, give them fish we need to teach them how to fish. And I remember I had an interview on CNN a long time ago. I think it was 2011, 2012, when we were just starting to inject into the community over there. And, and I said to them, um, why do you think the country is in the state that it's in? And she said, the, the, the country is in the state that it's in because of people like you. We don't need handouts. We need hand ups. And our whole philosophy and our whole approach down there changed. So rather than buying all this equipment from Australia and getting it shipped over there and, and taking it off containers and starting to do the build and then leaving. We're over there buying the materials, we're buying the tools, we're educating and inspiring and teaching um, adults and kids how to use these tools. And uh, so much so that now in the orphanage, we actually have discovered that 16 out of the 40 kids that are in the orphanage, 16 of the kids have parents that are still alive that we've now found uh, some of these parents were less than sort of four or five kilometers away. And because they're such a dense population and because everybody is unemployed, then it's just, it's horrific. So you don't leave the street, you don't leave the neighborhood. That's just the way it works. So to discover and find these parents that are still alive, amazing. But now we can't give the kids back because the parents don't have a job. They live below the poverty line. They don't have a roof over their head. So how can we give the kids back into the slums? So what we've done now is we've started a training and development center and we've got four different pillars, English uh, speaking, clothing, jewelry and construction. So we're teaching these families, parents, how to start their own micro business. And then the parents go out and, and create their own income and then they're self-sustainable. And now we can give the kids back. So out of the 16, we've been able to give four kids back to their parents. Uh, obviously, every single weekend, the other parents come in and we put on a big Sunday roast and all that sort of stuff, which is really important because we want that family tie and connection. But our goal is to eventually find parents and families 
where we can give all these kids back to them and and help start these micro businesses so that they can be self-sustainable and and, and take care of themselves because every child needs a needs a family needs mm. love but they also need three meals a day and a roof over their head so we're very important about trying to get the balance right and and um you know we're, we're really excited about the impact that we're having down there but obviously uh many challenges as well so um without getting to too much personal kind of content but given your health and given haiti you know obviously is not the the cleanest or healthiest place on the planet are you restricted on on how how you get there and how you see those communities or are you taking risks when you go in there yeah i think it's a very well educated risk tony my immune system is is very very low um i've always worn a mask and gloves on every single plane uh i just that just helps me with a little protection i'm very mindful of what i eat what i drink what i touch uh, what i go near um when i'm in haiti we have to have uh, guards so we have um, protection uh, whilst we're down there so i'm very mindful of what i eat and what i consume whilst i'm down there as well and i'm also mindful of the time frame that i'm down there as well but i also have a great deal of faith and i really believe that what will be will be i don't put myself into um un unneeded risk but i've got to say that my trips down there i have significantly reduced dramatically since um since i have a little boy in in my life now because mm. you know i realize that we can as great leaders as you are um in your role at booktopia i think great leaders can delegate really great greatly and and still have a really wonderful impact and and to your point we're not going down there doing all the work and leaving. We've got people on the ground that are locals that we can trust and we have faith in that can make the impact that we can. And technology now too, you know, we we raised a whole heap of money and bought a, uh, uh, what's it called, a generator so that we could actually have power at the orphanage. And then we got a little modem so that they've got the internet. Um, a week after we raised all the money and bought the generator, it got stolen. <laughs> so then we realized that we needed to put a bigger fence up so then we put the bigger fence up, then we raised more money and then bought the uh, generator and now we've got the internet. So I can communicate with my my little babies down there anytime I like and that is just, oh, it just melts my heart to see my two and a half year old having a chat with, you know, one of the eight year old kids at the orphanage is just heart, heart explosion stuff. So how easy is it for, well, I know you're doing good work on the ground there, but then to introduce um, kids of you know of our country so my you know my kids are seven 17 and 15 to to give them exposure to what our we live a very privileged life over here and and yeah. so uh, i mean there are there are many who are still here who are not privileged of course um and and they're well below the poverty line and we we still have a lot of work to do in our own country of course but Either, either here or there to get um, these teenagers who who have kind of got survival handled. Um, and as they're already, it's a, you know, you told the story before about, um, in, I wish my, I was my, you know, dad's phone. You know, well, sometimes a lot of parents go, I wish I was my kid's phone, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. or, or their, their AirPods or their, you know, or because, they're basically in their own world, which is no different when we were kids, but it's a, it's a different way that they express that today. So to get um, to get those that are that are um, not struggling to 
to be introduced to the um, the rest of the world in a way. Do you do that at all? Is there any part of that that you do? Absolutely. We, we in fact, a great story about a young man that we took down in 2017. He was in year 10 at high school. He had been expelled from two schools. He was a uh, going down the path of alcohol and he just loved to fight and who, who knows what else he was into, but um, his mum reached out one day. She heard me speak, and uh, she just said, I, I beg you, please, can you can you help me with my son? He's, he's my world. He's my everything. He's my only boy, and he just needs a perspective shift. So we asked whether he wanted to come to Haiti. So he came down, and he spent 10 days with us, which was a real eye-opener, and he couldn't run back to mummy. He couldn't just go and hang with his mates. And he he realized what life was all about. And that that had the shock factor that he needed. It really shifted his perspective. He was emotionally vulnerable and engaged and connected with what was going on down there. He came back and he got into school again. He graduated high school. He was actually the captain uh, in year 12. And now he's at university. And I just think to myself, that is such a beautiful story to know that this kid was probably going down the path of, you know, serious violence, probably in the juvenile detention world. And now he's at university and it's just about shifting your mindset, shifting your perspective. And I think that, you know, we can't all have that luxury of shipping our kids off for two weeks on a on a pretty horrific eye opener. But I think that as parents, you know, I'm only a I'm only a new parent, two and a half year old little boy, and he just rocks my world. And it it was the it was the hardest and the worst pain I've ever felt seeing him go through what he went through. You know, they told me that he had sepsis, that he had four or five days to live. I watched the man resuscitate him. I remember, I remember yelling in the hospital down in Sydney, just saying, you can take my house, take my car, take everything I've ever worked for, but please don't take my little boy. And so I understand the impact that, that kids have in our life and how much they just steal our hearts and, it's like we feel suffocated. You know, I, I'm leaving this interview to go to a, a doctor's visit. We thought our son had a brain tumor last week and we got the all clear a couple of days ago and it was just, oh, it was like, it, it was like I had a bag over my head and I just couldn't breathe. You know, I, I genuinely understand how much pain parents go through when they are completely out of control with their children. But I think we, you know, as I was saying, we, we don't need to get them on a plane and fly them to the other side of the world to experience poverty. As you mentioned, you know, we have this stuff going on in our backyard, maybe not at that extreme, but we have kids that are homeless. We have kids that are in and out of the juvenile detention system. We, we understand that they're foster caring and, and people that are really doing it tough in this country, the, the Aboriginal community, you know, to see some of that stuff that's going on is really eye-opening and, and I think that, that that is a really great first step for parents to be able to give their kids the exposure. You know, sometimes we try and protect them so they don't have fear and uncertainty in their life, but I think when we show them a little vulnerability and to give them education on realising how lucky they are to have what they have, then I think their outlook certainly does shift and change. Mm, amazing. Incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it makes it real. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free. 
and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.